0: it's Chris. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You don't have to do any of that work. In addition, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome back to the Situation in the Story podcast, where you can peer into what happens behind the page as I pick authors' brains about their experiences, their process, and their purpose. I'm your host, Chris Moore. If this is not your first time listening, please pause this show right now. Leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Your feedback will help the show grow so that I can continue to bring you incredible content and more often. As always, thank you for tuning in. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi guys, this one is special to me. For my eighth episode, I sat down with one of my heroines, Sophia Shalmiev. She's a feminist a painter and a writer based in portland oregon i had the joy of participating in her memoir writing workshop at lighthouse in denver this weekend i could not wait to talk with her about her memoir mother winter published in 2019 by simon and schuster sophia emigrated from leningrad to new york city in 1990 she is an mfa graduate of portland state university the second master's degree in creative arts therapy from the School of Visual Arts. She lives in Portland with her two children. Mother Winter is her first book. Okay, let's just get started! Okay, good afternoon, Sophia Shalmayev. Shalmyev. Shalmyev. I have a habit of saying every one of everyone my guests' names wrong, so... <laughs> uh,
1: Habits are hard to break.
0: Yeah. Uh, first question I ask everybody is, why do you write...
1: Because I have a severe fear of dying. Mm. I think that's probably why. I think it's it's my death instinct is just on such high alert that writing is the only thing that makes me feel like either I'll be immortal or I don't have to feel like I'm going to die right now. But yeah, I think about how I'm going to die 20 million times a day.
0: Me too. You actually, do? Yeah.
1: Oh my God. Yeah. It's like the number one reason I get panic attacks and that's why I have the emergency out of in my house. Because mm-hmm. if it goes too far, then I have to it's take in my, one. in my cabinet right you now. You too. La raza, Pim yeah. la raza, bam. <laughs> yeah. I can't take it too often because it actually is not good for me. But like if I'm having an emergency, I'm just like, yeah. knock her out. Do you think you write right because on some level you're worried about your mortality? Uh... Yes, I think so. So my memoir
0: is largely about the loss of my voice—the metaphorical voice. <laughs> I got in a bicycle accident when I was thirteen and uh, knocked my teeth out and broke my jaw. <laughs> and uh, uh, my parents couldn't afford to get my teeth fixed, so I just kind of really went internal. I was like kind of ugly and whatever else.
1: <laughs> First of all, uh, Chris is beautiful. Oh, I'm thank sitting right you. Here.
0: Yeah, I just uh, I I totally went inside myself for years and years and years and then on top of that my just my family dynamics didn't really allow for me to take up space so in a way it's about kind of taking that voice back for me
1: yeah and silence you know like that old adage the feminist adage like silence equals death that's true for children oh yeah and so I think like all of those anxieties about death they're they're real then when we become adults I think we write ourselves out of that coffinated space. And I know it's hard to believe you and I talked about this at dinner last night, but I was like selectively mute as a child. Yeah. And not not throughout the, my entire childhood, but there were times because the because that's what you do. Like you lessen yourself around people who yeah. don't understand like they're not capable of true mirroring. So it's easier just to shut down. But you had like yeah. a physical and socioeconomic reason too you'll
0: read about it someday hopefully i can't wait i can't (laughs) wait for
1: your book it's going to be amazing
0: so how do you do with flying
1: oh it depends um i hate the the east coast to west coast flight that's too long but i love the flight over here like two and a half hours it's great so you don't worry about your impending
0: death on the plane?
1: I, I mean, like, I do, it, the thing is, is, like, it gives me a focused way to to work through that rather than I'm just, like, in my house. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a reason. Like, planes do crash. Yeah, but that's, like, more... I know what you I'd mean. I'd rather be in my house having I a panic know. attack. I know what you mean. I'm not... I don't want to be on planes. But I... If I have to, then I think, like... Okay. Like this is like this is this is a way for me to channel my anxiety in a concrete way hmm. rather than drive myself crazy with 20 million what if scenarios. Hmm. So if I'm on a plane I'm like, okay, this <laughs> might go down. This is real. Rather than when I'm in my house and I'm like looking at the bricks of my building and being like the earthquake is coming. <laughs> I will I will get stacked upon like a like saltine crackers and I just imagine everything coming down on my head. That's sucks. Funny but not. Yeah, I get it. I get it. <laughs> but they told us the earthquake is coming.
0: In Portland.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're on a fault line. <clears throat> Shit.
0: Doesn't happen much there though, does it?
1: Um we actually are overdue for a very serious earthquake. I was in an earthquake in Olympia, the Nisqually fault line. Do you remember when that happened, Scott? Were you <laughs> And, um, oh, sorry, my boyfriend's Um <laughs> And, um, and I remember that and it was scary, but it, you know, I was like invincible at the time and it, like my bed was just kind of like a mattress on the floor and it was like jumping so much, it like pushed me up, but it pushed me in this way where like I got to hold up my ginormous TV, like this is a long time ago when the TVs were like this big. Yeah. So just kind of holding my TVs, everything else fell, but huh. so I've been in an earthquake and we're overdue for one in Portland. And on top of all that, um, um, Mount Hood is supposed to blow and uh. kill us all. <coughs> that's real. That's actual. That's, that's not, that's going to happen.
0: Yikes. <sighs> I, I think that <laughs> you spent
1: what? tell me? Well, just I
0: spent the summer in the Pacific Northwest and that never even occurred to me. I think that's best. Yeah. I, as a kid, I was deathly afraid of the wind. Oh, what would the wind do? Uh, knock over a tree on, onto my house was the big one. That makes <laughs> Or sense. Blow, blow the house down. I don't know. We had Jersey, lots of old trees, huge trees. I wonder
1: if it's just because Jersey's so evil that...
0: Mm. <laughs> I think it was a, a coping mechanism for mm-hmm. my anxiety at the time. Mm-hmm. But... I got through
1: it. I'm with you. I'm so with you. I also have to say, like, I wouldn't want anybody to, like, feel sorry for us because it's not the worst thing to have. Like, sometimes it can go that far. But I think, like, A, gives you a sense of humor, like mm-hmm. a dark sense of humor. <laughs> yes. I think, in a way, like, it does make life more interesting. Like, hypervigilance isn't fun, but you do notice more. You pay attention. Very much so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cool. So Mother Winter went paperback this past week. Woo- congrats thank you how would you describe your book
1: um so it's now called a feminist memoir so that's what it is um (laughs) so that 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 easy does it um (laughs) and it is a story about inconsolable loss Mm. um at the center of my story it's over the loss of my own mother whom i lost when i um I was 11 years old when I was uh, taken out of the Soviet Union by my father who received a visa as, uh, as a refugee, as a Jewish refugee, to leave the Soviet Union, which was crumbling and I haven't seen her since. And so I'm just, I'm dealing with and mourning that loss in, in various ways through various channels in the book.
0: Yeah. How long did it take to write?
1: Um, It, I started. Started it, started it, um, when my daughter was about four months old, she was born December 12th, 19, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah, 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 right, 2012, um, so in 2013, I really started to work on the book, and... I think it took me two years to have it, and then after um, uh, Jamie, my agent, sold it, it was another year of rewrites. Mm. So two years for our first draft? I think those were, there were like at least 17 drafts in there. I didn't even count them as drafts. I just was constantly in the material, Mm -hmm. and then I felt like I'm done I don't even care anymore <laughs> if this is a book or what this is. I've rearranged it. I've fucked with it for so long. I just printed it and put it in a drawer. And uh, Lainey Zumas, who's my mentor and teacher at the time and now is just, you know, my my really good friend, um, if it wasn't for her just sort of being like, what's that? Like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I wouldn't have probably taken it out of the drawer. I started to move on to different projects.
0: Jesus thank god you did oh, thanks <laughs> thank you yeah, yeah it really it's
1: it's all laney zuma's and 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 jamie Carr, who um oh, here this is a good disclosure moment because people are always like how do you get an agent or like how do you get things published and yeah blah 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 um my agent who is like almost 20 years younger than me <laughs> Um, actually went to graduate school with me. We had uh, my first ever class there that I showed up to as the Rodney Dangerfield of Portland State University. I just meant like I was the oldest person in the class. I was heavily pregnant. I showed up to, you know, the class in September. Um, Like I couldn't fit behind the desk. Mm -hmm. And Jamie was a person in my uh, forms of nonfiction class. And I I just thought she was a cool young kid, uh, an interesting fiction writer, um, and then Jamie graduated and went back to New York City where she's from. And then when Lainey was like, take the book out of the drawer, she said, Well, did you do you remember that Jamie in your cohort actually is now just just got a job at William Morris. Mm. And I was like, Pish Posh, like, this sounds <laughs> crazy. She's like, just do it, just send it to her. And I was like, What? ever <laughs> but I did I was like Jamie is it okay like I know you're building your roster like I know you're new to this she just like worked her way up from practically the mail room and I don't know lo and behold she liked Ann Carson enough and liked weird writing enough to be like I think I think you're my person and that's what it has to be like you can't just get an agent I think you have to find your person mm. like she's my lobster
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> And you said last night that a lot of presses had said your book was way too experimental.
1: Every single one of the indie presses said no. A very, very, very big no. Indies <laughs> said no. It was the bigger presses that were interested, yeah. That blows Which my is mind. weird, I know. Yeah. And they're my community. I mean, like the small presses was all I read. I, um, I love my editor, Simon Schuster, and I'm so grateful to be there, but I really have not read any books from Simon and Schuster, I think, um, <clears throat> with the exception of, I think the Memory Palace was published with them, the Mira Bartok book. Was it? Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was Random House. To be honest well, with you, I just don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I feel like Claire, Claire Dieter is most... Claire is FSG. FSG, okay. I know, and FSG was, um... Also, another place that I was very interested in that I thought and they would said, be a good fit, and they also said it was too experimental for them. But, um, but they're all
0: kicking themselves. Oh now.
1: well, I just think that's a that's a sweet problem to have. You know, look to look back on it. It's a very small family. They're all a constellation, and they all kind of go to lunch with each other. Mm. And it's it's a very incestuous <clears throat> world there in yeah. New York City. Yeah, so, yeah. but. Um, you just said that you submitted to, to Gray Wolf, to, Mm -hmm. um, their prize. And, you know, I think in our world, in our milieu, that's like, that's the cachet. That's like what, what we all seem to be striving for. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So throughout your reading your book, I thought and thought and thought about if it would be better for lack of a better term to have an ever present absent mother, which is what I had. Mm hmm. Or no mother at all. The longing kind of feels the same. And I, I'm gonna bring up what you said again last night about not being able to mourn something you never had.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think you can.
1: You're probably right. I, I and I think, I guess I was saying that for craft more so than I was saying it for your life. Okay. I was um uh, just to give context it was at you know the lighthouse workshop yesterday uh and i was uh, teaching a class called memoir four ways and chris was there and i got a question about um to me the question felt like how do we earn a a sad or a traumatic punch Mm -hmm. point and to me it feels like contrast is the way to do it so like you kind of have to show me the stakes and in a way you have to stage it you have to stage it to make it seem like the loss comes from either a yearning for the thing or of having had the thing or have embodied the thing or have seen other people have it and wanted but if you're just only telling me about how your boyfriend is awful but you miss him (sighs) I just don't care. Yeah. (laughs) I just don't care. But if you tell me about how that sneaky little pervert would like come in every morning with like the perfect bouquet of flowers and all the sweet little things that they did for you before they completely wrecked your heart, the contrast that's staged there in the craft, um, that makes me buy into the pain. That's, I guess, what I meant. But I think you're right. You can mourn something you've never had because we all have an archetypal feeling about what we are supposed to have. It's just attachment.
0: Right. Maybe it's more... Maybe the whole mother thing is more mournable. (laughs) Like, even if you've never... I don't know. Like, I Mm -hmm. had a strong relationship with my dad that's kind of reminiscent of yours. Do you think, like, having the relationship with dad was, in a way, giving you a taste of what it could be like to have a
1: mother? Yeah, he was a very motherly father and because he's so um, insisted on saying that he's my everything because his answer, I would ask for her all the time, Uh but his answer was that, you know, why would you want that piece of trash? Mm -hmm. Am I not good enough for He made it about himself, Mm -hmm. but in making it about himself, eventually when I was old enough to kind of put the piles of, this is hard for all of us to do, and we talked about this last night too, like what's my stuff and what's his stuff um i realized that him claiming me him like him attaching him wanting to be my mother and my everything so badly even though it was overwhelming and just um terrible boundaries Mm -hmm. um it did make me feel wanted enough where um the sting of her not being around was lessened and i agree with him in some ways i don't know he didn't do the right thing because it was his job to negotiate whatever relationship i'm gonna have with an ill parent but i do agree that it's better to fantasize and mourn somebody who is ill or is bad for us rather than continuously be engaged with the ill person Mm. i think so
0: yeah my father was kind of like the the affectionate one, the softer one growing up. And then but ultimately when I was like 15, 16, he's the one that actually left. And no. but, yeah. <laughs> so so that's been interesting to deal with through writing my memoir because for so long I held him up as like he's the one that loved me, he's the one that cared mm-hmm. and then it's like wait, <laughs> mm-hmm. but he did leave. So he wasn't perfect. Um, But he
1: he has said that's, like, his biggest regret. Um, But Yeah, when men leave, we mourn them very differently. Um, And, you know, I bring this up all the time. I don't know why, but we mythologize them very differently. And I wanted to do the same thing for my mom. Like, I kind of wanted to give her the... um, the like romantic dad treatment, mm-hmm. almost like it made me think of a lot of um, is it Aggie or aggie It's Aggie, isn't it? Right? Um, and uh, now on to praise famous men, just an observation of like of of how men lead their lives versus how women lead their lives. I just wanted to stage it to give her that permission. And it sounds like with your father, he did kind of one of the worst things you could possibly imagine because. <laughs> Well, I think abandonment in puberty for a man to do to a girl is such a shame spiral. Like, that is a really difficult time for some, like, you know what I mean? For a girl to be like, oh, what am I, like, dirty and clean? I'm no longer, you're no longer, like, a gender neutral entity Mm -hmm. to your dad, nor are you, like, a beautiful little doll. Like, you're becoming something that other men now want, Mm -hmm. and for him to, like, leave i think that is a huge betrayal
0: i've never thought about it
1: like that that's pretty profound
0: um now i'm gonna be thinking about that
1: (laughs) good it'll be good for your book
0: yeah so when i I, over the last two years drafting my memoir i thought i was you know at 34 far enough away from my trauma to to maintain some semblance of mental health (laughs) but Mm Turns out I wasn't. Mm-hmm. What was that like for you? Kind of mining the past. Was it painful? Mm-hmm. Well, you said something about being in the fetal position.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Somebody asked last night, "What? How do I move through the through the world differently now?" Writing what I'm calling, no matter what happens, a novel. <laughs> um, rather than how I moved through the world when I was working. Um, what was sold and, and accepted as a non-fiction book and um i struggled a lot i um as you as, as you've observed i have like no problem eating food and not only that i'm obsessed with food <laughs> i like my body would shut down and i couldn't eat which is not like that is not good for me i can't function i mean some people are like really good with a little bit of food and it gives them <clears throat> more energy but in my um, in editing especially doing the track edits with my my editor
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think it was in, in what we call an object relations rapprochement when you're being seen it's like when you're playing hide and seek with someone and I'll try to be oblique And then he's like, nope, I saw that, like, a parent, like, I see you come out from behind the door, Mm -hmm. little one. And I was having this parenting um, relationship with him, this kind of, like, restaging of a a parenting relationship, where I was so seen that it was so terrifying that I literally could not take care of my body. And I would go to the coffee shop where sometimes I would need to get out of my house, because it was making me crazy, to go do my track edits, and the floor felt like it was moving. Mm (laughs) <laughs> um, and I would, and even though like my own personal velocity is, is quite fast and, and elevated, um, mood wise, like I'm not, well, I've never been diagnosed as, as a bipolar or anything like that, but I started to get so activated that I felt like I was hypomanic. Mm. It was awful. It was so fast. Walking, horrifying yeah um but there was just no way out like that's the thing it's like that's why i think that's why i think accountability and deadlines and even these like stupid festivals we all go to are good for us because you nobody nobody really wants to get out of their bed unless like they're a very empty narcissist and they need like a lot of affirmation at all times and they're like they can't wait to get there but for me like I need a heavy nudge and so by the time the book was finished, 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 finished and I had a minute with it, I think that's like when I probably shot my pants the most because I was like, (laughs) okay, like all the hard work is done. How am I going to like say this stuff without crying or, I don't know. It was very, very difficult but all I know is what I told Kelly last night, the more you do it, the less awful it is Mm -hmm. and that's the only thing you can do
0: yeah not that I'm glad you went through that but it's good to know (laughs) that Mm
1: -hmm. that's not abnormal no Um. it is very normal you feel it in your body you need people in your life to tell you you're okay to remember to drink water and go to yoga but the work will still be there and it's terrifying and everybody Lydia will say this too like I mean, yeah, she felt like when she was writing Chronology of Water that she died and had to have a rebirth like she had like a nervous breakdown. Yeah,
0: so did I. I mean, I'm a, I'm a sober alcoholic and I drank like a fish the last two years. I think it's the only <laughs> one of the only ways I could have mm-hmm. gotten through it. I don't know that I'm just hoping the second round <laughs>
1: isn't as re-traumatizing i don't think it will be i think i think that yeah i think the push to finish the thing is its own thing and nothing will ever feel as bad that's the thing it's like our brains are so plastic whatever it is that you learned and have integrated it will only serve you going forward and i do think i give everybody this advice it's like once you've had your private time and you spent that time with yourself like try to get some mirroring some some kind of way I think it'll it'll get you out of your head for a second which is nice.
0: Yeah. So you're a mother of two yourself. Who uh, is? One little boy and one girl, yeah? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. That's right.
0: How do you see your role, especially after having the loss of your own mother? Mm-hmm. And do you see, like, a difference in, in a mother's role for a boy versus a girl?
1: Yeah. It's like a perennial. <sighs> Never, I mean, it's a never-ending difficult topic for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think being a caretaker in any capacity, like anybody, whether or not you are in social services or you love your pets or your parent, or maybe you love your parents so much that when they're very old, you take care of them. But any kind of caretaking, it's it's tricky, right? Because there are so many times that I feel like that is a really messed up way to live. Like, I I just am like, why would anybody burden themselves with more things to do or more butts to wipe? (laughs) Um, But I think that's like our humanity, right? Like, that's if that's how you choose to do it, that's fine. So muscle stretches inside of me. My son is so different than my daughter and my absent mother comes through my daughter constantly. Ever since she could speak, she would ask me, where my where my mother is she is so aware she's so direct she's so verbal mm-hmm. she's so attuned to everything and everyone my son who i unfortunately <laughs> end up putting way more effort into than my daughter just because that's how needs are you mm-hmm. have to meet whoever is asking for the most and he is not very verbal He's 11, she's 7, she's like 97. And <laughs> it's it's painful to realize that despite all of my clinical training, despite planning for him like and doing everything I could and taking all the right vitamins and doing all the right things and having all the greatest hopes and taking him to all the best specialists that um he is avoidant and shuts down and um isn't as expressive. Um, as I wish he was, or as connected or curious in some ways. And I don't know what to attribute that to. And I'm going to spend my whole life trying to figure out why he makes gun fingers at me and she asks me how I'm feeling. Hmm. Because if gender is a construct, I just want somebody to come to my house and help me.
0: Right. That kind of reminds me of the whole archetype conversation last night. Um, You were talking about how some... Folks, maybe in the new wave of gender fluidity, mm-hmm. uh, seek to kind of throw out the archetypes of male and female altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you kind of mean
1: by that, or what? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that this is like an ongoing conversation where, like, I feel like I have to do more listening than talking. But my current, not even my grandstand nor my granular point of view, like, I, I honestly think that I'm just like water moving through what. Um, non-binary thinking is at all um but i believe that in order for us to restage our families in a non-nuclear non-binary way which is a fantastic goal Mm -hmm. um we have to be cognizant and aware of and not dismissive of the fact that currently as human beings we still wrestle with you know like femme or or butch like female or male archetypes so and the majority of us whether it's a lie or not grew up with you know a mom who presented female and a dad who presented male and we are wrestling with those inside of us with those visuals with the way that they um treated us with all of it with those expectations and so I can't just shut that off. I'm not saying that's what we have to be, but to say I'm never going to read a, bo- a book about a man and a woman having a kid, for example, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if we're if if we're um, learning at that point. Like i i would I would love to like live in this world where gender is a construct, but I would say like let's make gender a construct and let's deal with the fact that we still are grappling with those questions for Mm -hmm. now yeah yeah and my thing about splitting hairs too is such that like i am very much a sarah shulman person like Mm -hmm. conflict is not abuse is a bible for me if not only because of her um understanding as a jewish person uh stuff around gaza but just in everybody who ever reads that book is so hungry for somebody to to say like oh god I know it's not cool to say but I'm like really done with call out culture like I think we need to get away from call out culture this whole that I don't know why we need slogans but now people are into saying well let's have call in culture I don't know if we need any of it like I think it's (laughs) fine to say to analyze the situation without canceling people I think it's fine to say like yep that guy that owns that that punk rock club is a rapist um that's what's up you can cancel them or not cancel them. That's my information for you. Mm-hmm. Um, that um, uh, woman over there who said, "Oh, I'm I'm for abortion rights for women," and then when you yelled at her and said, "Well, trans men have uteruses too," you're being you're not being inclusive. Um, I will say you're absolutely right. She made a mistake, and I'm not canceling her. Like it's just we have to figure this out. It's very nuanced. But no, I'm not canceling people who. Um, Are having like a hard time like literally are just like forgetting or not seeing other marginalized people within their own marginalization I don't want them to get like in their own lane and stay there like I'm not advocating for uh, white middle-class feminine (laughs) feminism I'm advocating for intersectionality where (laughs) everybody can feel like they can learn and they can belong if they want to so if somebody wants to why are we yelling at them and telling them to go away
0: right i agree i've had i've i've been called like turf and stuff are you familiar with this term what no trans exclusionary radical feminist what just for having the conversation or talking about these archetypes it's scary almost yeah like i've been wanting to talk on this podcast about gender and things and i get like no i shouldn't i shouldn't i shouldn't bring it up i don't so. know why
1: it just seems so strange to me yeah why why at this moment where we are actually queering feminism why are we then like being, homogenizing and yeah. being so like divisive. divisive and bullying yeah it's bizarre to me like nobody should be afraid and i know people like i hope hope crisscross doesn't doesn't well, she actually said it at AWP, so it's not a secret. Chris Cross was like, I'm done. Like, I can't put myself out there anymore because I say one thing and people have decided wrong. that, I, that yep. I'm done yep. forever. And, and I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? Like, her body of work right. is incredible. And even my students are like, yeah, she's canceled. I'm like, she is? <laughs> I'm so confused. <laughs> well, your
0: students... <laughs> I, are they in there like, are they millennial types? You they, were saying they, yeah, they're they young
1: didn't 20s to mid thirties, but they I didn't want to, uh, engage with you because you're a mom. They didn't want to engage with a book, a first, a, a book that I assigned that has the protagonist. It's an eco-poetics book, Sarah Vaps Winter, and she's a mother and you know, they just felt like. They're not going to have kids so they don't want to engage with this material and then as I started talking they just were like well you have this heteronormative point of view yada 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 and I was like yeah um I could barely pay my light bill last month and you're paying 40 grand to be here I have two kids I have to raise on my own like who is punching down here Mm -hmm. why are you treating me like I'm your servant right like I'm not Jeeves (laughs) yeah
0: well do you think do you feel like Women are doing the same thing to to male narrative in what way? Like feminists, we don't need any more male stories. We don't need any more male narratives. That's a thing that people oh, yeah, I hear
1: that all the time. I think that is to in my view the way that i say stuff like that although i kind of don't say that very much i think it's more playful like i think the way that you say things is in a way sometimes more important than the way you say Mm -hmm. so for example um when eileen miles said in new york times first of all it's just a freaking suggestion like like mm, experimentation what would it be like right hypothetical so they said um Right, like I think that men should take like 50 to 100 years off from creative jobs and academia. Like just, they've had them (laughs) this whole time, all of them, all the time. What would it be like if we just flipped the switch? Just as an experiment. Mm -hmm. And because they are an iconoclast now and could do no wrong and they are in goddess or god Uh, gender neutral God status (laughs) and and then that's totally kind of cool and funny and interesting and somebody else might say it and we might be like hey you're being you know um, gender you're gender policing or whatever but I think it's a cute and interesting way to talk like Mm -hmm. it comes from bride girl where we would just be like boys suck or like (laughs) We don't need you. No, like, no, we did. We had sex with them. We hung out with them all the time. We bought them beer. When they lost their jobs, we, like, bought them equipment for their bands. Mm -hmm. We did need them. But in the context of, like, like art and punk rock and, like, just being kind of, like, a bratty, like, know-it-all naysayer, I think it's adorable and I think it's an interesting way to talk. To be like, fuck male narratives. Like, whatever. Mm. But if you then underneath it say, like, wink, wink, like, no, like thoughtful interesting stories by men or anybody are always welcomed that would be my asterisk
0: Mm -hmm. nice you said at your workshop last night that memoir is woman there's no right way to be a woman no right way to write memoir so Mm -hmm. fuck it be punk rock basically (laughs) yeah um what do you see as kind of the function or functions of memoir I was asked I was asked a similar question defending my manuscript, and it was, it's hard to answer. So I was interested yeah. in what you think.
1: Yeah, I mean the 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 easiest way to talk about it is um, um, recording memory is timeless. It is again speaking of like archetypes or um, cave wall drawings, mm-hmm. <laughs> anything like recording memory. Is our humanity, and so there's nothing in memoir that's not art. That is what we're here for, um, and I don't, I don't believe that there's really that much difference between a novel and a memoir. To me, it they do the same thing. Journalism is one thing, um, biography is one thing. Mm-hmm. Just even just creative nonfiction is kind of like its own thing that there's a lot of piles in there but i think memoir and novels are just kind of like sisters they are conjoined twins that were separated mm-hmm. that's my idea of it that's but men don't read memoirs and they read novels that's all i know
0: <laughs> uh, yeah <clears throat> lydia said something last week very similar like mm-hmm. if you are a non-fiction writer you can write fiction there, there's no she said the The membrane between the two is so thin that it's porous. Yeah, I agree. know many people who came from the soviet union and are still anti-capitalist
1: you Mm -hmm. call yourself anti-capitalist yes i do
0: um can you talk about that please
1: yeah (laughs) yeah um yeah it's a it's a crazy thing you think about you um they are all republicans now Mm -hmm. it's bizarro world but pendulums and extremes are the way that unprocessed trauma takes hold of us and makes us insane, for lack of a better word, so I think all those people are insane. Yes, they've lost their minds completely. It's not that they even sold themselves out for malls and blue jeans and cool stereos and flashy cars. Like I think that they, I think they are clinically insane. Hmm. Um i mean capitalism is insanity and i do not believe that even if we um you know like bernie i don't think if we elect anybody who actually calls themselves a socialist that america will stop having a capitalist market right so like i don't even want to really argue with people about this stuff however i do believe that we can get to um a Frankie Roosevelt kind of world. Right. And that's all I really think we should do. Like why can't we why can't we just get back to the 30s to John Reed um and kind of embody more of those values within I get it. Like America's Not Stockholm. Like, I get it. Um, However, I mean, I think we just, we have a lot of wiggle room. And we have the precedent. We have the past to show us what FDR did. Really, like, Eleanor Roosevelt did most of the work. Mm -hmm. If you haven't read her books, please do read them. Mm -hmm. She's incredible. Um, And in her last book that she wrote, uh, which is, like, a Bible of mine, um, um, The Future is Now, I think Mm -hmm. it's called. And she wrote it, like, practically on her deathbed. And it really is just, like an easy-peasy guide on how Americans can embody these values of just, you just take care of the most vulnerable person that you can find, and that will only elevate you. That's it. Those are our values. That's how we have to live our lives. And I do not exactly know why the other Soviets, um, they hate the Soviet Union now. They do not vote um, Democrats or Progressive Democratic. My father... Um, says that he's like a communist at heart, but it's not a system that could actually work in the real world. So he's going to elect a businessman. I mean, it's just mm. so, I think it's, <laughs> they're just really chachi. They're tacky. They're just like disposable 99 cents store values.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a good friend that emigrated over here from Russia. She was two, um, but her parents and grandparents, her grandfather or something was some famous soviet writer uh i forget his name but her son who's in his 20s is like completely anti-cap uh anti-communist libertarian because of you know whatever stories he's heard from his family
1: about communism and Soviet Russia it's such crap it's such crap because Gorbachev was such an incredible leader Mm -hmm. and I think we could have had a socialist democracy there if Reagan didn't intervene
0: Mm -hmm. fuck Reagan man
1: I mean, that is really the actual devil. Like, whatever the definition of the devil is, it will be that man and that administration. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, what he did to our country is one thing, but then he gave us the eventuality of a Putin. But what he did to this country in terms of erasing gay culture, I mean, all those people that died in um, the AIDS epidemic really didn't have to die. Right. You know? And that's him. He wanted that. One of the many things. Yeah. Oh, God. So many. Yeah. But I just... I think about, like, the actual death toll. It's insane. It's insane. And, you know, those things escalated because by 1995, most people died of AIDS in any other year. But at that point, we already forgot.
0: My lovely racist uncle. <laughs> I say that sarcastically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I have him blocked on Facebook. Just... He, He's, like, worse than Trump on Twitter kind of thing. And Trump, he's he's been saying very racist things my entire life around the dinner table, and Trump has validated him in some way. But he made some comment on my aunt's posts about <laughs> Buttigieg and gay people being freaks of nature. Mm. Um, and I can't see his comments, but I can tell from the responses what he's saying. So. <laughs> I chimed in and my grandmother actually contacted me and was like, you have, you have no respect for your family. I can't believe how Cause you're
1: gay. Um, or because you talk like that on Facebook.
0: Cause I called him out and she's, she's basically saying that I'm the one that's being hateful. And I asked her, you know, did you have a conversation with your son about <laughs> calling gay people, freaks of nature, because I'm gay as you know. And I was like, uh, I don't know. She just doesn't see his behavior as hateful. But people looking for a safe space are the hateful ones. It's really... When you say insanity, Mm -hmm. it's insanity. Mm -hmm. It it blows my mind. Mm -hmm. I don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. my
1: speechlessness.
0: Yeah. And they're Italians who grew up in Camden, New Jersey. I don't know if you're familiar. Familiar. Okay. So... As my parent, my mom and her brothers are kind of coming of age is when Camden kind of shifted. So my uncle and my mom and my grandparents have this narrative of, you know, black people came in and ruined the city and it never stopped like that's just still the narrative that's coming out of his mouth all the time
1: yeah white flight really took a hold of those people
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah and they're like and then the gay people moved in and bought the houses and they
1: justified it (laughs) right
0: and like so that's the that's the environment i grew up in this italian south jersey italian family that moved out of camden because of black people and I'm just glad I got out of there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it's rough because even though you got out of there, it's still a part of your legacy every day. Yeah. That's why. And it should not like, I think that depression sometimes is just anger toward it is the definition of depression is anger turned inward. And I, I think that sometimes people take on the guilt of their ancestors in a way that actually harms them more than it, than it, should because you are a great example of somebody who's doing something else with your manifest destiny, <laughs> and that should be elevating you and making you feel kinder towards yourself. But it seems like it only like you're just emotionally cutting some more, yeah. Which you shouldn't, you didn't do that, you're not responsible for their behavior. I know it's just, I don't know,
0: the whole. Italian family thing well it's evident in my grandmother's response the other day like how could you say that about your uncle he's been there for you many times yeah. and I'm like he's I don't have respect for him he's nobody to me anymore like I don't know but there's this guilt because they can say to me yeah, I don't know no, oh, now you have a college degree and you think mm-hmm. you're so
1: whatever of, of course um, yeah uppity bitch yeah <laughs> Um. So Elizabeth Warren, yay! She's my girl. She's (laughs) She's my my candidate too. I'm so happy. I'm looking at a public school made me ElizabethWarren.com sticker. Oh yeah, love it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I got my ballot in yesterday. Um, how does Mm -hmm. Warren fit into your anti-capitalist? Well, you kind
1: of already answered this. Well, yeah, she fits into it because I again, I'm not trying to set people up. For insane pipe dreams just because they have... Like a teenage self that needs to be gratified, Bernie is fantastic on many levels. It is fine if he's the nominee, whatever, great, let's go with that. But no, he's not my candidate. I don't, I don't need unicorns and rainbows. I don't believe that we're going to get anything done in our government. Like, look what they let Obama do and not do. Let's just right. let's let's just be realistic here for one second. Um, and Warren is not saying that she's a a democratic socialist. What she's saying, though, is that even though she is, um, you know, maybe some people, a somewhat problematic capitalist. But she knows the markets. She wants to regulate them. She's saying this is the economy that we currently have and have had. She's not coming in for anarchy. She's coming in to regulate these people. And they need to be regulated. Mm -hmm. That's going to be hard enough. And I'm happy that she wants to do that. And she went to Harvard for a reason. And she was hired by Obama for a reason. She's qualified. One. Two, she will then employ people like Bernie and people from, um, if they want to work with her, if they're willing to not be such babies, Mm -hmm. um, she will then employ those people in the cabinet in order for them to then push all the agendas that we want for climate change and the economy. That is a huge, like, let's work together on that her uh, the grades that she gets um uh for her eco values mm-hmm. she is running like an a minus b plus same as bernie um for for identity politics which is everything to me because representation matters. She's head over shoulders above Bernie. For trans rights, head over shoulders above Bernie. Um, Public school education, same. She also wants minimum wage raised. This is the same. I mean, like, the difference between them is that she says, yes, I am a capitalist. This is our reality. This is our country. Mm -hmm. And he says, I am a socialist, and I'm going to come in and change things up. And he's he's lying it's not going to happen and I do not need after having a rapist yell at me every day on TV to have another white man with a screaming red face scream at me about anything ever again Mm -hmm. like I want a break from that for at least eight years (laughs) amen thank you a woman (laughs) a woman yeah a lady fest me in the vagina vulva (laughs) What do
0: you think about uh, women who support Trump? Especially women. I, I'm not going to name names, but I know women who have been sexually abused that are still supporting Trump. And that's kind of that insanity. I know insanity. them too. Yeah. They're in
1: my family. My stepmother fully supports him. And when we all out to dinner last time, she was like, she did the thing that the lawyer for Weinstein said. She was like, Women who go to hotel rooms at 2 in the morning with anyone deserve what they get. Like, I've been raped myself, and that rape is different. And other times that I've been raped where I put myself in that situation, that's exactly what I deserve. That is what they need to believe in order to feel powerful because they want to align themselves with power. Mm-hmm. And I don't even, I don't believe that there's such a thing as a gender traitor. Again, like, it's a funny, cute joke. Like, we have to understand that, like, where the hell is everybody's actual punk rock humor? Why can't we be, like irreverent you mm-hmm. know um and so like in that way like yeah i can call her like a gender traitor because i think that's <laughs> stupid but she's <laughs> actually trying to do that like she wants cis man power, right and so she'll say anything to get it and that's how some women survive i understand you know people survive the inquisition and the holocaust doing the same stuff so I know I just said that but that's true Mm -hmm. that's true to me correct do do you think it's insane oh um there there is yes I (laughs) would love for I I don't believe in mandatory mental health evaluations but I I believe that these are just people that need all lot of psychological help like we need to help people even the the angrier the more republican they are the more they need uh, that mental um health eval and um a lot of good social work um a a quick beautiful example of this is i was in lincoln city at the driftwood library doing an event and it's pretty liberal place, Lincoln City, Oregon. Um, and the, the librarian in charge was like a cool, hip, androgynous woman. And Ken, Ken Hobson, who puts them on, is like a very liberal super cool guy um and so they you know attract mostly retired liberal crowd mm-hmm. and so it seemed like a very safe place to to wear all my warren pins and i wouldn't offend anybody but a white guy with like long curly gelled hair <laughs> and uh um a, sort of like a jerry garcia t-shirt and some bell bottoms and sandals <laughs> where nobody wants to see your feet came and sat right in the front row everybody else did not take the front row he did um Uh, make of that what you will and then as the q a was progressing he shaking um like because with anticipation because this is like i was explaining this to my boyfriend actually i said scott like why do you think what do you think flashers want like why do you think flashers flash anybody and he's like i don't know i'm like they just want the reaction of disgust. Like, they're just trying to scare and disgust the person. Mm -hmm. Like, it's this. Like, ah! They're not, like, being like, hey, baby, come (laughs) to me. You know, like, they're just trying to make you be so scared that you run away. And that's what he came. He came as a flasher. He raised his hand and he said... Now, what, do you, what is your opinion, even though I already gave my entire speech about everything that I think, what is your opinion on Putin? Because I think he's the greatest man who ever lived. And really, if we were ever going to um, elect Crooked Hillary, I was planning on moving to Russia. And he's giving me this speech. And everybody in the audience is like, hey, come on now. Like, Boo. And I was like, no, nope, we're not doing that. And I looked at him and I just said... I love you. Mm-hmm. Like, I am here for you. Like, I don't have much time for you. I'll give you three minutes. But, like, I love you. I love this country because this country made an Amy Poehler, a James Baldwin, and Etta James, and it made you. And, like, this is, you know, this is a stolen, bloody land that mm-hmm. does not belong to you or me. Mm-hmm. To say that I'm deeply American is is a troubling statement. Mm-hmm. But... In the context of me being an immigrant and having no choice but to have come here i am deeply american and i'm so glad that i could share this space with you and you have the right to go to russia we don't have an iron curtain here Go move to Russia. If you think you like, and he's like, or I'll move to Canada. I'm like, they have socialized medicine. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, no, no, I'm not going there. So he just <laughs> needed to process that. None of this makes sense. He just needed for someone to say, I see you. I love you. What is it? The deep state? Okay, babe. That's cool. Do you need a pacifier? a, a be- Like a blankie? What do you need? Oh. My love. <laughs> and I did that to him for three minutes. And you know what? Everybody said, hello, goodbye, da 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 An hour later, I'm leaving with all my books. He came over and he said, I am so sorry. He came over and he apologized to me for, like, bugging me about any of his, you know, insanity at all. Hmm. I, we can't do that on Facebook. We can only do these things in person. Right. And not with our families, because... It doesn't work. It doesn't In work. most cases. <laughs> no, and I'm not saying anything worked. Oh, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, I was not going to fight with him. There was right. nothing to fight with. It's, it's a cardboard cutout of like Kathleen Hanna once was talking about this I think in her um, My Life with Dando zine where she was talking about how in society these fake fights are staged so that we do fake work rather than real work and there'll be like a carbon cutout of that guy and he'll really bring it and he'll give me a gun and be like here shoot bullets at this carbon cutout while I'm over here like actually doing real harm Mm -hmm. so like I I don't want to engage in like the fake part Mm -hmm. I just want to do the part where I say like I know you're hurting. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry for you. And I got to go now. Yeah. That's it. That's yeah. all I could do. Yeah.
0: Can we talk about your own, um, sexual abuse that happened when you were 12?
1: Yeah. Um, or 11. It was, uh, yeah, I was, I was practically, tw- yeah, I was still 11 at the time. And I always remember it as 12 and I don't know why. And I t- say it that way too. Um, the situation was very similar to, um, m- every single sexual assault sexual violence or, or rape or molestation story i ever heard for the most part they're always like a person is either groomed or it's a person that they trusted or it's it's a familiar and so with this man this very old man with a grown daughter um he, his position of power is that my dad worked at the esso station exxon in italy and he knew that we were about to leave we finally got our visas and he was probably like waiting to to do that for a long time and then just right right as we were leaving he offered um to like make me dinner and have me over to his house and so I did that and that's when like what he perceived as a seduction began um you know and like so he was like let's watch TV now and he just had like his arm around me and then the arm goes inside my shirt like i don't have any breasts and then I just remember him like patting it like, they're there. <laughs> like, you don't have any yet, but okay. And then just him like leading me into his room and just like, tr- like working really hard to like, like he like went down on me. Like, it was literally as though like men have an understanding for like, not all men, but these types of men feel that children and women are both nothing and children and women are interchangeable in some way. Um, and so I think that's what he was doing he thought he was having like a romantic moment with a child um, and <sighs> yeah and so you know whatever happened happened and then afterwards I was like just completely wooden inside for a very 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 long time until I started to wonder because that was thank god for third wave feminism where they were like you're not going crazy you were probably just molested or raped and you're like oh that makes sense I never, never even thought I'm allowed to feel that way or think about it that way Mm, um but once until i had that permission when i was about 15 and i started to unpack it that's when i was like oh i've been cutting myself because this man's like nasty fingers are not here to like try to like rip my body apart like i didn't think about it that way and the minute i got it my life changed yeah and it not like, like oh my God, I was healed. But I just, every time I was activated or dysregulated, I just was like, no, I didn't fucking do that. I didn't fucking do that. Yeah. He fucking did that. And so that helped me.
0: Yeah. Did you <clears throat> tell your dad?
1: Oh, right. So um, when I came to this realization and I thought I was having both a nervous breakdown and a break- breakthrough, mm-hmm. I told my father and he cried he just was like oh my god and he held me um his response was both like it's just how my dad is it was both incredible and awful um he held me he cried he was like i can't believe this oh my god and then he had to excuse himself we lived next to a park in south brooklyn and then he just went to this park to go sit and cry on, on his own. And then my stepmother just like laced into me. She just ran up to me. She's like, Why the fuck would you tell him something like that? You ruined his life forever. He's never going to be able to stop thinking about this. You've shamed him. He's going to think of you as like, you know, marked and da 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 da. Like, keep that shit to yourself. Everybody's raped. Like, shut the fuck up. Oh and I was my like, God. you know. So that's how that went. And my dad and I never spoke about it again. Together, mm-hmm. it's just been something that's in the air. We're like every once in a bloom, and I would be like, "Dad, and as you know, most girls lose their virginity through right? like I'll right. do, I'll just do this with yeah. him," and he's always like, "There goes my feminazi daughter again." <laughs> he literally now said that he gave a toast at after my my book launch <laughs> in oh. New York City, and he got up and he was like you know uh, on my deathbed he had his third open heart surgery or whatever he's like i did some googling on my daughter and i he's like (laughs) i came to the realization and then i accept to the acceptance of the fact that my daughter he's holding a shot of vodka my daughter is a feminazi and i love my feminazi daughter and that's just what she is and i have to accept this about her so cheers to my feminazi daughter (laughs) And that's how that went.
0: Uh, I love him.
1: He is hilarious.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, what's next for you?
1: Um, I want to be in a good place with my teaching enough to where like I feel like it's flowing and gelling and so that it's not all consuming all the time for me, um so that I can really 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 sink in to um i married the butcher to get to the bone which is the the novel protagonist grace single mother um i think it'll just it'll be i think it'll be dark and funny like Mm -hmm. if i could just have some time like the stuff that i already have on there it's it's okay but i just want it to be a little bit more hilarious and i need my brain back um, I actually just two nights ago signed up for a workshop in P town with Sarah Shulman mm. in July. Cause I was like, I just, I won't finish this shit unless if, I go yeah. and just go do it somewhere. Yeah. And so that's my, my goal is August to be done. <laughs> At least have my draft for my agent. <laughs> so, hey, wish me luck everybody.
0: Yes. I, I'm sure you'll do it. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much for sitting down with me. You are one of my favorite people on the planet. So it's
1: super important to me. So thank you. Thank you, Chris. You are incredible. Your apartment is so cute. Your (laughs) neighborhood is so cute. Your dog is so cute. You are so kind, so beautiful. And I cannot wait for your book. And I just have to say one thing. I'm staring at an Ellen DeGeneres book. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And that's okay. And they're in a shame because guess what? Ellen DeGeneres has the exact same birthday as my mother. It's January 26, 1958. They were born on what? the same day.
0: What? That's, it. That's all I have to say That's about that. And on to... that
1: note, <laughs> goodbye, Denver. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks again for tuning in. You can check out Sophia's work at com. You can purchase her memoir, Mother Winter, wherever books are sold please write a review on apple podcasts drop a rating so i can continue sitting down with amazing writers who challenge the patriarchy. thanks again for tuning in until next time